0: Good evening. Good afternoon, buddy. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing not bad. I had a pretty rough night, but uh, pretty good.
1: But it's gonna be better now. It's it's all good now because so, you're here. Because I'm here. <laughs> so for those who are listening, we are going to actually talk about the Keswick movement Ooh, today. Finally, I mean, I've been talking about it again and again, and we're really gonna get into it tonight. And we're gonna mention some members of the Keswick movement. Ooh. Talk about its background. And really all I'm trying to do is just introduce you to something that I found really super fascinating. I didn't know about these people. and I, I really, I think I first heard about the Keswick movement when I was in college and it was always negative. Like, yeah, I just read about it and it was like almost like there was a, a veneer of heresy, you know, mm. on Keswick-ness. It, Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Sorry. It was just, I, I thought this is, this has got to be heresy because everybody's talking about the Keswick yeah. movement. Like it puts a bad taste in it's their mouth. Bad and, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and so that's just the, the idea that I got about it. I didn't even say it phonetically. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> <Sorry>.
1: <laughs> but after I actually started reading into it, I can see, yes, I can see why some members of the movement would be deemed heretical or close to it, or mm. at least dangerous theology, maybe not heretical, yeah. but dangerous because uh, I Super wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, minutes. I wouldn't say they're heretical, but there are some questionable beliefs among certain proponents of the Keswick movement. But it was very interesting for me to find that there are two major branches of it, and they're both called Keswick. Okay. And they both technically are. They do have things in common, but they are pretty different from each other in the implications they draw okay. from certain basic ideas that they share. And so I'm going to share with y'all tonight what those are. So uh, let's talk about when it got started. So the Keswick movement started in 1875. It was a tent revival in Keswick, England. It's spelt like Keswick, but it's pronounced Keswick. I don't understand why, but that's it's the way that's just the way yeah. it is, you know? And so it first, it first got started as a result of the holiness movement. So the holiness movement took place in America and it, it came out of Methodism. And so what ended up happening is holiness became popular enough that it hopped across the pond to the UK and, and there some traveling preachers who were sharing holiness theology ended up getting enough attention to where they started uh, hosting meetings. Well, eventually the holiness aspect of the Keswick movement kind of died out and it was okay. taken up by people who were more reformed. Okay, so okay. people who would hold to, at the very least, perseverance of the saints. You know, that. And again, you got to understand when you go back to this certain time period, Calvinistic theology. Right. Uh, if I lived back then, I would probably have um, a lot in common with Calvinist preachers uh, rather than holiness or Wesleyan preachers. Right. And I'm going to share with you why I'm not a Calvinist myself. Like I don't believe in unconditional election. But if you just remove that element right there, that, that controversial aspect, there are other aspects to Calvinism that I would align with more than people, let's say, in the Wesleyan or Arminian camp. Um, and, and I'll again, I'll explain what I'm talking about in just a second. But anyways, it started out as being rooted in, in Wesleyan theology. And if you want to know a little bit about uh, John Wesley, he's probably misunderstood by holiness people by Wesleyan. So Wesleyan theology isn't necessarily the belief of John Wesley. There's controversy surrounding that. Some people think that he's been misrepresented, but uh, basically what he believed is God through the Holy spirit gives Christians the power to live a fully sanctified life. So he believed that not only are you capable uh, through the Holy spirit, through prevenient grace, not only are you capable of receiving the gift of salvation and being justified, but there's this second blessing where the Holy spirit will um, take over your life when you surrender your life to him. And that will result in you living a whole, complete sanctified life, a holy life. Hmm. And, and while on the surface, I would say, yeah, like, I mean, sort of. I, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with saying the Holy spirit enables somebody to practically live in, in a holy manner. Cause of course the new Testament is full of that. I mean, Peter says, be holy as your father in heaven is holy, right? I mean, that's something we should strive for. However, Um, John Wesley seemed to suggest in a couple places that this was such an, uh, such an effective and such a complete sanctification that it it basically is tantamount to sinlessness, like sinless perfection. And that's why it's become controversial and rightly so, because the new Testament teaches that even when we are walking in the light, God is revealing to us things in our lives that we need to confess, and we need to repent of. And so even when we're seeking God, he's revealing more and more of our, of our shortcomings because we still have a sin nature. Right. And so while we have the Holy spirit and we have a new nature in Christ, you know, that remnant of the old self, uh, the, the flesh as Paul would call it, that's something we still struggle with. So the, so the idea that someone can be sinless, uh, maybe for an hour. Uh, but I mean, if we talk about sinning in thought, right. I mean, you probably aren't even going to make it an hour. No, you're not. So you might have a life that is characterized by holiness, but will you be perfect? No, Mm. no. And so not on the inside of especially that's right. And so perfectionism was justly rebuked. It was justly Mm. refuted. I think by the Calvinistic side, because the Calvinists were the ones who were saying, no, no, we're, we're totally depraved. Yes. Calvinism takes that a little too far, I think, but they're right in that. Christians, even after they're justified, still struggle with sin and will never be able to say, look, I am fully sanctified. There was only one yeah, the only one who is fully sanctified Exactly, uh, and he didn't even have to be sanctified in the sense that we do because Jesus is already sinless. He was born sinless and right. he lives sinless. But yeah, he was the only one who's perfect is what we're trying to say. Yeah. So, yes, I, I don't know exactly what John Wesley would say um if he was here today i think that he might say oh well you're misrepresenting me you know in an
0: english accent of
1: course yeah well we were talking about the other day i don't know exactly how he would have sounded he's in the <laughs> 1700s maybe he sounded more like <laughs> us right, i yeah. don't know so anyways uh i don't know exactly and again that's why there's debate like what would john wesley say if he heard about wesleyan theology you know that came after him yeah. would he say i i sign off on this i agree with this maybe some of it maybe yeah. other things he would say, no, y'all are taking that too far. Right. But what eventually happened is in the holiness movement is, and again, this is uh, something that came after Wesley. They took it to a point where they said you needed a second blessing of the Holy spirit. And this became a very almost uh mystical mm-hmm. experiential sort of thing. And of course we, as Christians firmly believe that we can, and we ought to be filled with the joy of our salvation. But they took this as a definitive moment in time mm-hmm. where someone receives a mystical second blessing and this second blessing leads to that person being fully sanctified or wholly sanctified and and, and that will result in sinless perfection and and uh i mean and if, and if you were to I mean, say we get our
0: new bodies i mean well yeah, yeah right yeah right. we'll get
1: that we we'll get our new bodies right. amen to that but uh some of them might say that well if you were to ask them have you achieved this i think that they would probably, if they were careful about how they answered, say, well, a person who's really been completely sanctified isn't probably going to say they have been. Right. Because right. part of sanctification would be humility. And so a truly sanctified mm. person would probably doubt that right. they were fully sanctified. Exactly. So anyways, that it kind of it's like a loophole. You know, yeah. they they kind of avoid answering yep. the question. But, uh, you know, there are some people who probably would say, yeah, I have been fully sanctified. And that's to me, it's arrogant and it's simply unbiblical to say that you've reached a sinless state. Uh, But anyways, anyways, so that's the holiness movement. The idea of experiencing a second blessing is key to it. Now, Pentecostals, they took this and they ran with it. And the second blessing was associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the first holiness preachers didn't associate it with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They would say, yes, the Holy Spirit's the one who pours this blessing upon you. But uh, again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that language came later. Hmm. Pentecostals, they associated that with speaking in tongues. Sure. But what's very interesting is there were some people, and this is where we're going to talk about the second group. Okay. So the first group of Kesing movements, Wesleyan, Pentecostal, Uh, the second would be what we would call traditional evangelical. When I say traditional evangelical, I'm saying they're not charismatic. That's basically what I'm saying. Uh, These people, I'm going to give you one example, R.A. Torrey. uh, So he was the guy who basically succeeded uh, D.L. Moody at Moody Bible Institute, if that gives you some perspective. But anyways, R.A. Torrey, premillennial, dispensational guy, uh, in terms of his theology, I would probably call him free grace, mm-hmm. but when it came to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he firmly denied that the baptism of the Holy Spirit necessarily manifests itself with miracles like tongues and mm. prophecy. He was very critical of the Pentecostal movement. In fact, if you go online and look up R.A. Tory tongues, he has a whole, mm. you can find online for free, his we writings against it. it. Yeah, yeah. So he was a strong critic of Pentecostalism, which is interesting that we have emerging at the same time, two very different branches of this Keswick movement that started in England in 1875. So R.A. Torrey was on the side where he did believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a second blessing. Now I've read what he has to say, and I'm not convinced. Okay. I don't think he makes a good argument okay. that baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second blessing. Uh, I think baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in a minute, we're going to look at some verses. I think that it is uh, regeneration, it is being put into the body of Christ. You're baptized into the body. And that happens whenever you get saved. Okay? okay. So I disagree with him on that, but he believed that being baptized with the Holy Spirit was something every believer had a right to every believer had an option to experience that if they were willing to. So it's like one of those salvation blessings that you have to lay hold of. So he would say justification's automatic. automatic. Uh, he would say, because he believed in eternal security, that your justification is never lost. While other people over here, like the holiness and the Pentecostal camp, they do believe justification can be lost. R.A. Torrey would be critical of that, no doubt, Um, and others like him. But um, he did believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a second blessing, and he does argue that that second blessing enables you to live a spirit-filled life, a Christ-like life, and while he would not— I have no doubts. He would not hold to sinless perfection. He would say that to have a victorious life as a Christian and to not be subnormal, as they might call it, mm-hmm. or or carnal, yeah. you need to have this blessing of the Holy Spirit to make him Lord of your life. Okay. You have to surrender yourself to Christ, to the Holy Spirit, and he imparts with you this this second blessing of strength. And, and so th- there's Something to that. Sure. Okay. So I, I don't think that he's right that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a definitive moment in time subsequent to getting saved. I, I don't think right. that. But I do think that he's right. And people in the Keswick movement who believe this, I think they're right that in order to live a victorious life as a Christian, you do have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. And there are many Christians who are subnormal in the sense that they've been saved, but they're not taking advantage of the blessings of the Holy spirit that they have access to. So it's true. There are things that you have to lay hold of sure. as a Christian and they don't come automatic, but
0: you know, we're perfected. I forget where that is in the new Testament, it says, you know, we are being perfected. Yes. Yes. So in my mind, you know, yes, we have the Holy, we have the Holy spirit, but over time, as long as we continue to, you know, come closer to 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 christ to to god then you know we're being perfected because of that and becoming
1: more and more holy it's progressive yeah but we will never reach it in this lifetime no we won't and paul he he says this so i think that this is a nail in the coffin to the idea of complete sanctification or sinless perfection because he says in philippians 3 Uh, He says in verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I want to read back. I actually skipped over the verse I was looking for Uh, in verse number 12, not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, Right. but I follow after if that I may apprehend that which for which also I am apprehended of Christ. And so even Paul, when he wrote this I mean, he's in prison for his faith at this point, right? He's saying that I have not achieved that perfection. Right. Okay. This man who was led by the Holy spirit to write all these letters and was such an example, he was able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Right. Even he said, no, I haven't, I haven't attained that. And, uh, I think that when he speaks here of running a race, he's talking about yeah. the the race of life Yes. and it, we're not finished running the race until we die. Exactly. And so, you know, attaining perfection in one sense, like you said, is receiving your glorified body. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that he probably also here has in mind the idea of rewards for faithful living. But, uh, at at the very least he's saying like, I I've still got, work to do in my yeah. life, or rather the Holy spirit's got work to do on me. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so anyways, if Paul said that, then I don't think we should hold out hope for sinless perfection, but should we press forward for it? Like, should we say, this is who Jesus is? He's perfect. I need to be like him. Yes. But yet realistically understanding that we're going to need to confess our sins on a regular basis. Right. Yes. That's healthy theology, but let's talk a little bit more about this whole baptism of the Holy spirit thing, because it's very controversial and we need to properly understand it. So uh, let's look at some verses in first Corinthians 12 and, uh, Galatians three, we have a couple references, but Say let's look at first Corinthians 12 first, and that's going to be verse number 13. So first Corinthians 12 verse 13. All right, here we go. For by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body? Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds a lot like getting saved and being brought into the body. Right. When he speaks of whether we be Jews or Gentiles, it reminds me of him saying, Neither Jew nor Greek, but in Christ we are all one and so to me, he's saying that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what brings us into that body. We're all baptized into one body. Absolutely. So when do you enter the body? When you get saved. Right. So baptism of the Holy Spirit there, I I have a hard time seeing it any other way. And and I try to be open minded with people like R.A. Tori. I mean, I've I've read his stuff. Um, I look forward to reading more. Very insightful preacher. And, and a uh, good
0: looking man as i brought him up in my yeah yeah he's right got now. a nice majestic yeah, beard there too and yeah. that
1: mustache yeah you know he's a little bald but you know you know the, the beard makes matter. up for it so yeah like he sounds like i <laughs> said
0: reading his stuff as i really love better looking than oh, i just lost the guy's name he, he was the head of the uh church um um oh forget it <laughs> um um colin donald what is that that's uh Yes, uh, um, Saint Patrick is it? So, but know? it's not Saint Patrick. But it's that. What church is that? That is the. What what church does he belong to? That's the um Saint Patrick. No, the connell and Donald the Lutheran. The Lutherans, yeah. So the guy that was the head of the Lutheran Martin Luther, church. but no, he was the head of the guy in the of uh, the in the U.S. He was the head of the church, oh that guy, the, yeah, he, yeah. And he's like, he's a pretty not a very good looking man. All well,
1: right, Tor, he's a handsome guy. He's a
0: handsome man. You so put those I, two together, he wins. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's laughing. They're both laughing about this right now. But, uh, you know, I think Ari Tori's a wise guy, but uh, I think that we also have to just apply everything people say to God's word. There are times when I look back and I'm like, oh man, I was wrong. And then I've had to correct myself. And I told my students that the other day, I said, guys, like, this is what separates me from, you know, a number of other people. Uh, And, uh, and this is something that I'm trying to constantly remind myself of. I am not the authority. And whenever you have a preacher who acts as if they are like putting the congregation in their place, I said, there are a lot of preachers out there like that. Okay. And that's not the way we ought to be. I Mm -hmm. mean, going back to the principle of sola scriptura, God's word is the absolute authority. Mm -hmm. And so we're under him. And even as a pastor, I'm under that authority. Now he has given me a gift to shepherd. He has given me a gift to to study. I do believe God gives those spiritual gifts and he's various in the way he, he gives gifts to people in the body. But, uh, I'm still a member of the flock too. Yes. I'm still one of Christ's sheep. Absolutely. And so I have to go to his word and R.A. Torrey would have said the exact same thing. Sure. So what we have to look at now is Galatians three. And I think this one seals the deal. Okay. So. First Corinthians 12 seems to suggest that you're baptized when you first enter the body. But, but Galatians 3, to me, I think it's clear as day here. It says in 327, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, neither male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Look at verse 26 though, for you're all children of God by what? By faith faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes right on and talks about being baptized into Christ. So to me, again, the language that's being employed here by Paul is when you have faith in Christ for the first time, you become a child. When you become a child, you're baptized into the body and that baptism happens one time. And doesn't it make sense? I mean, when you get baptized, and you know, if you don't know, you listen to this podcast, yeah, we're talking about two different things here, right? The
0: bad, no, we're not talking about baptism. No, we're, not, we're talking about,
1: yes, we're talking about Holy Spirit baptism right now. Right. That's a regeneration. It's a spiritual thing that happens when you first right. get saved. But I do want to talk about water baptism because yeah. it ties into it. Water baptism is a one-time yes. thing. Okay. Why? Why did God say, do it once mm. and do not repeat it? Mm. Okay. Because he doesn't that indicate true? that we ought to repeat it. And every example we have in scripture is they were baptized once. Yeah. Okay. So this, this idea that the Mormons have of being baptized many, many times. Okay. That's what's reading into the Bible. What's not there. Okay. But of course they have a problem in that they believe in other books besides the Bible. Yeah. But yeah. (laughs) So throwing that out there, but, but anyways, baptism is a one-time thing. Well, what does it represent? It represents dying to the old self and to sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have a new life. You're, you're raised to walk in that newness of life. Mm -hmm. It's a picture of regeneration. Yeah. You know, you participate in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. That happens one time. Yeah. Okay. So the baptism of the Holy spirit, wherever we place it in the Christian life, It happens one time. Mm -hmm. Now that's why some people will say, Oh, the baptism, of the Holy spirit happens subsequent to being justified. The holiness movement holds to this view. But like we've said, looking at these verses right here, no, it happens when you get saved. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you're being baptized by water, what you're declaring is I've already been baptized into the body. Y'all didn't see it because it's a spiritual thing, but I'm doing this now physically so I can enter the visible body of Christ. Okay. So it's a sign. It's a symbol. And, uh, It's a one-time deal. So, uh, moving on from that, now that I think we've cleared that up, let's talk about some other activities of the Holy spirit that are important in the Keswick movement. And while I would not, like I said, I don't think that baptism of the Holy spirit is the way we should refer to this second blessing. I do agree that there is a second blessing in a sense. I wouldn't call it a second blessing, but a secondary blessing. I call it secondary because it's something that can happen many, many times. If you say a second blessing, it kind of implies just a one-time thing, okay? You get saved, and later on, you have the second thing, okay? And then that's it, okay? One, two, all right? I don't think it's two parts, all right? I think the secondary blessing is being filled with the Holy Spirit regularly, and you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit, but yet still be sealed by the Spirit. So we have to properly interpret Scripture here. So in Ephesians 1, 1, Let's look at Ephesians 1, verse 13, and we'll talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. So, what he's saying there is, when you first believed, you were sealed. And how long does that sealing last? Well, he says right here, You were sealed as an earnest or guarantee of the redemption that will one day happen. So we haven't received all of what God has set aside for us. We look forward to our glorified bodies. And in Ephesians 4.30, he says basically the same thing. He says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, which by the way, Christians can do. Okay? Mm. It's important to know. Uh, Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So he's saying that when you receive the sealing, okay, it happens one time when you get saved, when you believe, but it lasts the effects of it continue until the day of redemption when we okay. receive our glorified body. So, the sealing of the Holy Spirit has to be distinguished from the filling of the Holy Spirit because Paul talks about continually, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. It's something that needs to be done regularly. Uh, it's not taken for granted that you have the filling of the Holy Spirit daily. That's a choice that you make to diligently seek the Lord in your life. Dude,
0: I'm just sort of thinking that through. It's like, when he says that, I think he's more—I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. He's saying, "Be, be, be in the word. Be everything. Bring yourself closer to Christ. Yes, absolutely. Right or yeah. God, um, not as an active. Oh, you know, you gotta. The Holy Spirit's gonna come down and. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you and know, I'm not that, saying that, that either. Song, yeah, man, yeah. Right? yeah.
1: Uh, I'm not saying that. You know, being filled with the Holy Spirit is again, the Pentecostal holiness sense, like this is some mystical experience. That's not, it's
0: more of, I can't explain it, but
1: let's, let's read some stuff about it because the whole, listen, the filling of the Holy spirit does, it does have something to do with emotion. Okay. Mm. So we can't divorce emotion from the Holy spirit. Right. Paul doesn't do that. And we shouldn't either. However, you're right. It's not like, Okay, Holy Spirit, come down the Holy Spirit's and- come down upon me, and I'm shaking and I got goosebumps, and, and now yeah. I just know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. However, however, what you just said there, that, that is some emotion. Yes. so uh, <laughs> Anyways, yes. I don't think I'm contradicting myself. No, I'm going to show you let's, let's look you're at not. the verses, and I think it'll be made clear. So we're going to stay in Ephesians because okay. he talks about this in several places. Let's look at chapter three first. Three fourteen through 21. Here he doesn't, strictly speaking, talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, but the language is similar. So in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints. What is the breadth and length and depth Mm. and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. So while he doesn't say filled with the spirit, he talks about being strengthened with the spirit, Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith and being filled with the fullness of God. It all amounts to the same thing. So, but notice love is key to this. I mean that you may know Christ comprehend his love, and be filled with the fullness of God. Mm. So this is basically saying when you get saved, you have this well of eternal life in you and it's in you forever. Like eternal right. life is eternal, but we need to go to that. Well, That I like that analogy. Yeah, we, need, we need to yeah. go to the well. It's there. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, we will not, you know, be condemned by God after we've received his gift of forgiveness and salvation. But if we want to experience the fullness of God, we got to do what it says here. Uh, We need to be on our knees in prayer. Uh, Like you mentioned earlier, we need to be seeking his word. Mm -hmm. It says in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded in love. So Christ dwelling in your heart, we say, ask Jesus into your heart. I personally am not opposed to using that. Mm -hmm. I think if it's properly explained though, like if you're talking to a little kid and say, Jesus coming to your heart means that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside Mm -hmm. you when you get saved. And he wants to be with you and never leave you forever. And you need to invite him into your heart. I don't have a problem with that. I think there's evidence that scripture employs language like that here. It says Christ dwell in your heart by faith, but this is talking about that active experience. Okay. Of Christ being in fellowship with you or rather us being in fellowship with him. Okay. Because it's really us being in fellowship with Mm -hmm. him. We fall in line with his will in our life, not the other way around. But, uh, so being filled with the Holy Spirit does involve understanding God's love in a deeper way, knowing God in a more intimate way than we did before. Mm-hmm. And so is this like some definitive moment? Okay. Not necessarily. I think it's more of a lifestyle. I think yes. it's a, it's a lifestyle of knowing God. So Absolutely. there are times in my life where I could look back and say, I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit right then. Right. Okay. I was saved but I was not diligently seeking God. I was not grounded in faith and grounded in love. Right. But there are other times where I do believe that now in my life. Okay. While I want to be filled more. And honestly, I, I, if you take this analogy and you just look at it you know, on the surface, you can be more full. Okay. Or is that a word? Fuller. <laughs> you can be fuller. Yeah. Is that pro- appropriate grammar? Yeah, that's Okay. Right. Whatever. Fuller. So fuller? The, the idea is I that know. you can know God more, right? And the yes. more, you know, God, the more full of his love you are. Yes. And the more that's going to impact your relationships with other people
0: A- and with him.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so being filled with the Holy spirit, it's not something that should be like taken for granted that, Oh, every believer will have it. And, and that's, that's so true. It is. And this is why I like the Keswick movement, because even if there are some differences of opinion of, among members, like we've already looked at, uh, the thing that the wesleyan holiness camp and the traditional camp has in common is this they both admit that subsequent to believing christians can experience a a sense of failure in their spiritual walk with christ Hmm. they can be carnal that's basically what both sides agree now the, the reform camp isn't really in love with the Keswick movement in fact they're pretty critical of it and it's because they don't like the idea of a Christian really being saved but not growing and remaining stagnant. Mm. So they don't have a problem with someone being a baby necessarily, but they have a problem with them staying that way. Mm -hmm. Right. And and of course, how long can you stay a baby? Mm. All right. It's, it's really the same question you could ask someone who believes you can lose your salvation. Like how far can you go? Right. The same question could be asked of a Calvinist. Like how far can a true believer go? Well, they don't really know how to answer that question. That's right. But the idea is that the free grace people we're free grace. We believe in eternal security. And the people who believe you can lose your salvation, at least agree on one thing. Okay. Mm. They agree that without the filling of the spirit, you know, without the secondary strength and grace, uh, for us to live a life pleasing to God, we will be carnal. Right. And we will be ineffective. Yes. And now of course the Pentecostals and the Methodists will take it so far and say, well, you know, if you don't pr- press on to receive this second blessing, then, you know, You'll lose your salvation. You're in danger of that. Uh, I disagree with that strongly, right. but I agree with them in that when you read these passages in the new Testament about Christians being carnal, we should take them at face value. These are real believers absolutely, and they're not living spirit filled lives. Right. And so that's why the Kezi movement is often called the higher life movement. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. It's because there's a sense of like, you know, the spirit filling you, this is a above and beyond experience. You could be just saved and not be experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so that to me, my whole life, I believe this. And it's kind of funny that when I was in college, I didn't understand the Keswick movement. And it was just like, oh, heresy, heresy. Well, that was coming from all these Calvinist people. But if I would have understood what the Keswick movement actually taught, I would have been like, well, doesn't everybody believe that? I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can be a Christian and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't change the fact that you're sealed by the Spirit. I mean, look
0: at the whole Western Church, anyways, yeah, yeah,
1: and, and, yeah, exactly, and you know that's a good point. We've been talking in Revelation, yeah. about, about uh, you know we've been mentioned Laodicea a couple yeah. times. We haven't got to that part yet in Revelation three, but it's true. The Laodicea church is a church. Yes, right. The angel of Laodicea is in his hand. That's right. Okay. The candlestick of Laodicea is a genuine candlestick, right. with the light of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're they're called a church. They're an assembly of believers. He says, "I'll chasten you because I love you." That's that applies right. there as children. So, but look at them. I mean, that's a subnormal experience. That's right. And so that's something we should guard ourselves again. It's very easy to be distracted. If we didn't have the, the flesh, the sin nature, then yeah, there'd be no reason for us to be distracted if we didn't have that. But we do until we get our glorified bodies. We do and we'll keep struggling. Uh, but the Bible says that we can, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, overcome sin in our life. And of course, we've been talking about that for the past you know couple times in the series uh, that, that we've had podcast on the subject, we've discussed how living a spirit filled life is not trying harder. Okay. It's not like gritting your teeth and pushing forward. Right. Living a spirit filled life is being what it says here, rooted and grounded in what love. Yeah. So the more you, you baptize your mind, I don't mind using that language. Okay. Again, I don't think the baptism of the Holy spirit is the filling of the Holy spirit. Okay. But the, I, the, the word itself, baptism, what does it mean? Immerse. Mm-hmm. So if what our, R. A. Tori is saying is we need to be immersed in the love of God and the grace of God. And as we're filled with God's grace and love, and we understand it, and we renew our minds that that's going to result in change in our life. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Agree with that hundred percent. And so, uh, that's what the Keswick movement is about. It's not about like trying harder to become a better Christian. Okay. It's not seeking a mystical experience. And that's what it's become with Wesleyan and holiness people. It's a, right. a mystical experience that they're seeking to have, you know, a weeping and wailing, a, you know crying a lot of tears, right? That's not what we're looking for or laughing, right? Or, or, or laughing or rolling on the ground, slaying the spirit, whatever. Like that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about reading the word of God diligently in prayer and having a intimate relationship with God. Exactly. That's what we're talking about. And that's the higher life. And if you as a Christian are listening to this, if you really accepted Jesus as your savior, you know, you have, if you called him the name of the Lord in in genuine faith, then you've been sealed with the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. Don't doubt that. But ask yourself: Are you filled with the Holy Spirit, or are you full of the world? Right? Are Are you taking in the world in your life? Are you taking in the spirit? Because the spirit's there and he won't leave you. But it's a resource, like I said, it's a well that we have to go to. And
0: as you said earlier, well, it says in the Bible, you can grieve the Holy Spirit as a
1: Christian. That's right. Right. Quench the Holy Spirit. Grieve the Holy Spirit. These are very important expressions that Christians should remember. Uh, One more passage in Ephesians, and then we'll talk a little bit more about some of the members of the Keswick movement. Sure. So Ephesians 5 verse 18 it says be not drunk with wine wherein is excess mm. but be filled with the holy spirit or filled with the spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the lord giving thanks always for the th- for all things unto god and the father in the name of our lord jesus christ now notice before he even gets to the practical side of things, submit yourselves to one yeah. another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Before he gets to any of the practical yeah. stuff, what does he say here? Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I mean, encourage one another. Okay. Be submissive at the end,
0: number uh, twenty-one. Be submissive. Be submissive to one another in the fear of God.
1: That's right. And so, w- what the submitting yourself to each other, the practical love, the practical service to one another. It all starts with being filled with the Holy spirit. How is that defined? Making melody in your heart Mm. to the Lord, giving thanks. It all starts with thanks. So if you're not making melody in your heart, okay. If you're just going to church, and you're just singing the songs. Okay. If you're Mm. not praising the Lord in your heart, Okay, If you don't have a prayer life, if you Mm. don't have a devotion time where you're like, God, I I love you. I want to see more of you today. Show me more of yourself. Mm. If you don't have that, you're going to have a hard time submitting yourself right. to other Christians, you're going to have a hard time submitting yourself to your loved ones and your friends and your relationships. That sacrificial living is hard for us, even if we're saved because we have the flesh. Mm. Submitting ourselves to God, submitting ourselves to others is going to be very difficult if we're not first making melody in our hearts. Right. So that's how, that's basically how you open up the door. It's like in Laodicea, Jesus is on the other side he's knocking. You open up the door and you say, Jesus, I've missed you. Yeah. Okay, I've missed you and I need you in my life. And when you start with that, with that loving relationship that he wants to have with you, everything flows from there. Uh, so that's that's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I honestly want more of it every day. And yeah. that's why I like the Keswick movement. They've been criticized somewhat of being a little too mystical, but I don't think that they've, uh, that they've been represented well by people who say that, uh, again, some, again, some would be mystical, like yes. I said, but the traditional ones, you know, like people like Deal Moody and R.A. Torrey and Hudson Taylor, like these are not guys that are like, you know, you know, getting slain in the spirit. These right. are people who are just in the, the quiet and the solitude of their, their prayer room Yeah, are just communing with God. Yes. And that is something we need more of. Yeah. So, uh, to talk a little bit more about some people who are part of the Keswick movement, and I want to recommend uh, some books for you. Sure. Uh, so first, Major Ian Thomas is a more modern proponent of the Keswick movement. He's you know with the Lord today. He's passed away, but um, he's written a number of books that do a really good job of representing the traditional uh, evangelical side yeah. of the Keswick movement. Not not the holiness Pentecostal. Major Ian Thomas. So he was apparently a major in World War II, I believe. Uh, but I've already read a, a little book written by Sean Lazar. I recommend it. And it's, uh, it takes God to be a man and what it does. It takes a couple of his books because Sean Lazar, he's a very avid reader and it takes all these books and it just condenses it. It's like a hundred page book and it gives you a sampling of what major Ian Thomas teaches in his writings. And it's okay. just really, really good. I read through it in a couple of days, you know, just a couple of settings. It's a very easy book, but. Uh, Uh, There's a really good analogy in his book that I want to share with you. So he would describe uh, the people in the world in three categories. The first category is unbelievers. So that would be like the Egyptians. Okay. So let's let's go back to like the Old Testament story of Egypt, Israel in bondage. So there are the Egyptians. They're like the unbelievers. Uh, And then you have the carnal believers, which are the Israelites who are wandering in the wilderness. Mm. Okay. Which is a perfect analogy because the New Testament Gives us that very analogy for carnal yeah. believers. And then you have the spiritual believers, and those are the people that they move into the promised land and they're reaping all the blessings of the Caleb. Holy Spirit in their life. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, so we have really good analogies there pulled straight from scripture. And so I like the way he employs these Old Testament passages. He doesn't allegorize them in the sense that, you know, it's all symbols and, and fables and myths. No, it's history. He mm-hmm. believes that it is history. God's right. word is inerrant, because but, but it's, it, it, it gives us principles of life. So while yes, we can look at it from a purely historical perspective, talk about the archeology span and whatnot. There's also spiritual application and he's careful about it. He, he doesn't recommend just allegorizing everything, you know, reading your own beliefs and, and opinions into the text. Uh, he gives principles in his book uh, about how to go about it. And so he's very responsible in how he interprets scripture, I think. But uh, that's one analogy he gives. Now, another one he gives has to do with, Abraham, Sarah and Hagar. And he says that in the Christian life, a lot of mm. people will try to please God, but they try to do it in their own strength. And when they do that, they're set up for failure. So he gives the analogy of Sarah and Abraham. Yeah, uh, They had gone a while without God giving them the blessing that he said he was going to like you're going to have a child abraham you're going to have many offspring and so sarah says abraham uh maybe what god wants us to do maybe what he really meant was this yes right maybe what god wants us to do is kind of to just take things into our own hands like god helps those who help themselves sort of thing like Mm. how about we uh we fix this you could sleep with hagar and his you know her child will be Mm -hmm. my child and of course god said no no that that's That is a product of your flesh, of your will, doing things your own way. Um, You have to trust God. And this is what major Ian Thomas's main thing is trust God. You don't need to know the details up front, right? You trust God and he will reveal the details when you need to know them. So it's more faith. That's the solution is more faith, more trust, Not more faith in myself, more faith in God. And so he says a lot of people, they try to go about the Christian life in their own strength by the power of their flesh. And they may even be thinking Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm doing the right thing. Like Sarah was thinking, oh, this is this is God's will, you know, but they were trying to help God (laughs) uh, accomplish his will Mm. rather than let God accomplish his will through them. And so it, it was meant to be, you know, passive reception of God's truth. If God wants me to know something, he'll tell me. Mm. And so he would say it, it's not living for God, which is how most people think about it. Right. I mean, if you ask most Christians living for God, they'd probably say, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's not living for God. It's letting him live through you. Right. So it's God, you know, you are. The hand and I'm the glove, right? Okay. Yes, absolutely. So it's not about mechanical commitment to rules, right? But it's a passionate relationship with the ruler. And so I really like that theology. I think that it's, it's key because of course it's all based on your, your position in Christ. Major Mm -hmm. Ian Thomas firmly believed in eternal security. So it's all based on your position. You know, if you fail, you're still in God's hand. That's the key. Whenever you feel like your salvation, your life, everything is in your hands, Um, then there's this, this panic and you, you think, oh, I've got to, I've got to do it myself, you know, and and you can't, you can't do it yourself. Uh, that's pride. It's pride to think that you can save yourself or you can live a life pleasing to God without his help. Even after we get saved, you know, say you believe in eternal security. You cannot say to yourself, I can now please God on my own. Yeah. Because you have the flesh still that's not gone. And he's trying to teach you. Continual dependence, continual reliance upon him. I, um, a friend of mine,
0: a guy I worked with, Ben talked about, um, we had this conversation a few years back about exactly this, where he was out of work at one time and he said, I did this, I did that. I tried this, I tried that and nothing was working. And I don't know, I forget how he came to the conclusion, but he, he decided that he needed to let God take care of it. And once he did, he got a job.
1: Like, amen. Yeah. It was like
0: exactly like that. I mean, I had a very similar thing where I finally, the last time I was unemployed, it was, you know, I was trying this, I was trying that and I gave up. And then I came to Christ and all of a sudden I got a job and you know, you know and what I mean? Like, absolutely. And I not think, to say that God, you know, it's not like, Oh, give me a job not that, you know, he's not a genie in the bottle, but it's just the way it happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And no, I think that, you know, God was no doubt showing you. Yes. That, this is just the taste of the blessings that I'll give you if you rely upon me may not be in your time. It may not be exactly what you expect, but, but the idea, yeah. And I know you're not, it's just, the principle is trust you'll be blessed. That's right. Okay. And it's not lay hold of these blessings Mm -hmm. of your own strength. Okay. And, And so we talk about laying hold of the blessings of the Holy spirit, being filled with the Holy spirit, laying hold doesn't mean striving. It doesn't mean working hard, uh, Like I've got this long list of demands that I've got to, I've got to fulfill. Like God's told me to do all these things. I got to do them or he's going to smite me. That's not what we're talking about. Laying hold of the blessings means really letting go and letting God. Now I know a lot of people don't like that expression. Mm. When a cliche is used so much, it it puts a bad taste in people's mouth, especially when it's misused. Yes. But there, there is truth to the idea. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The idea is, um, if you try to live life in your own strength as a believer, you will fail. Yes. You will fail. And God, he's going to let you fail because he right. wants you to see that you can't succeed without him. Exactly. And so, uh, I thought
0: you just read that someplace. This is a, all things, you know,
1: through Christ Through Christ. Yeah. Not through Paul. Right. That's not what he, yeah. That's through exactly Christ. right. Yeah. Now, a verse that goes along with this in a story, and this is how we'll wrap it up. Um, let's see. Second Timothy two thirteen, probably one of my favorite verses. This is the verse that my students are memorizing this week. They've been okay. memorizing, verses 11 to 13, because it's a whole saying, okay? Sort of like a, a mini creed yeah, yeah. and 2 second Timothy two 13. Paul says, if we believe not, if we believe not yet, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now this verse was such a, a godsend right. to Hudson Taylor. Oh yeah. So, uh, I, I've not like read a biography of Hudson Taylor. Okay. You know? I, I only know little, a little bit of information about yeah, his girls life, could but, tell you probably yeah oh yeah I know yeah. because they're you know they're researching all these missionaries which is right. wonderful and I'm and I'm reading now this book by uh Criswell. or is it Chriswell no sorry it's it's a uh, Warren Wiersbe. and he has all these uh mini uh, mini biographies yes of these really important Christian people yes. and it's a really good book like I am it's devotional it's only a few pages but it gives you a sketch of their life yep. highlights some of the you know the key beliefs they held and experiences but uh Hudson Taylor uh is part of that collection. Wait, and two, four, Sorry, two fourteen two 213. 213. Uh, two thirteen. Uh Second Timothy two thirteen. And so Hudson Taylor, when he was in China and he was doing mission work, he was really having a hard time. I think this guy, you know, he battled severe depression and I think the enemy was out to get him, no yeah. doubt. But this is what he wrote. This is from a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, a short little book that basically is him explaining his keys to success like these are the things that um, that helped him succeed as a missionary in China And so he says I strove for faith but it would not come I tried to exercise it but in vain seeing more and more the wondrous supply of grace laid up in Jesus the fullness of our precious Savior my guilt and helplessness seemed to increase sins committed appeared but his trifles compared with the sin of unbelief which was their cause which could not or would not take God at his word, but rather made him a liar. Unbelief was I felt the damning sin of the world, yet I indulged in it. I prayed for faith, but it came not. What was I to do? When my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from dear McCarthy, uh, McCarthy was used to remove the scales from my eyes. And the Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known it before. McCarthy, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote, I quote from memory, but how to get faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. Mm. As I read, I saw it all. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. I looked to Jesus and saw, and when I saw, oh, how joy flowed, that he had said, I will never leave thee. Ah, there is rest, I thought. I have striven in vain to rest in him. I'll strive no more for he has for he sorry for has not he promised to abide with me, never to leave me, never to fail me and dearie, he never will. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so those those words in Second Timothy two thirteen that if we believe not, he abideth faithful was the key to everything. He's like, if I fail, if I'm a complete and utter failure and I cease in my faith, then God will still hold me because he's the faithful one. Mm. And then when he realized that his helplessness was what's, what was the word I'm looking for when it is, um, when it's acceptable in the sense that if I, if I'm helpless, if I can't do anything, if I fail, then God's still going to hold me. Mm that was when he felt like the burden just fall off his shoulders. Yeah. And trust me, I, I felt that too. I, I felt when I was in college, I was, I had a very legalistic mentality, some bad preachers I was listening to, you know, but very legalistic mentality. And I just constantly doubted my salvation. I constantly doubted whether or not I was pleasing to him. Even if in those moments I felt like sure. oh, I'm saved, but I constantly doubted my faithfulness and I found this verse. Mm. Like Hudson Taylor. I didn't yeah. find it through his this writing here, but I found the verse and I wrote it down and I framed it and I put it next to the door. So that way, every time I would leave my apartment, yeah. I would be able to glance at it. And that is when I started to come out of the legalism and the self-trust and the, you know, self-dependence. And I was able to experience the joy of the Lord. I, it was like a fresh breeze on a hot yeah, day. That's awesome. like, I felt so happy. Yeah. And, I, and, and in that happiness, I was able to, you know, be gracious to people and serve God with a renewed passion. And so that maybe is the key. If you're listening to this and you're part of a legalistic church group and it's all about, you're not good enough, do more, try harder then well, I I hate to tell you there, there is a point where you you need to be broken so God can fix you.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. You need to be broken, not, not, not pick up the pieces yourself. Okay. You need to be broken so God can fix you. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's, that's a huge part of the Keswick movement is that you've got to basically discover your helplessness before you could truly be effective for the yep. Lord. Now, the last thing that I want to share with you, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. And I think it's a perfect way to end it. I'm not going to sing this, okay? okay, Praise the Lord. because I, I've only heard Sorry. it a couple times <laughs> that I'd be really out of tune, but, uh, Francis R Havergal was a hymn writer who was a, a big member of the Keswick movement. And this is what he wrote. This is one of his famous hymns. Like a river, glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, our hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand, never foe can follow, never traitor stand, not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry, touch the spirit there. Every joy or trial falleth from above traced upon our dial by the son of love. We may trust him fully all for us to do. They who trust him, wholly find him, wholly true mm. and just beautiful words. What's
0: the name of that hymn?
1: Um, I, I don't know the name. I think it's like a river glorious. Okay. And, uh, what's the group that we like to listen to the, uh, the people that you introduced us to like the family. They got lots of kids. And they do the song sounds like rain. Is that yeah, what it? I think?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, is, she they sings the,
1: the wife sings this song nice. and does a really good job with it too. Better than I could. So don't, yes, yeah. So l- listen to her. Yeah. But uh, anyways, we might do that on Sunday. We might, weekend. you know what? Let's try it. We should try it. I'll have to practice it. So that way I, I know what I'm doing. How
0: it goes. Christy yeah. You may know it. I don't know if she does or not. So. But
1: anyways, that y'all is the Keswick movement. I hope that you can do some more research. I'm not done researching it. I intend to read more of major Ian Thomas. I'm, uh, it's just, I. I got an appetite for it now. Yeah. Right, I read a little bit. I want to read more. Uh, I'm really enjoying, uh, reading stuff by R.A. Torrey. And, uh, I haven't read a ton by Hudson Taylor. I don't know if he wrote a whole lot, but I'm intending on looking into these guys because, uh, they discovered, uh, the Holy spirit in a deep way. And while I have the word of God, yeah, it's always good to have the wisdom of other Christians who they've already come further than you have and they can help you along as well. And so anyways, God bless you. And, uh, that's all we got for tonight.
0: tonight.